this week, we finish our series on the vision, and then next week we return, and many of you have been asking for this, we return back into our study on 1 Corinthians. And this is a study that we were calling the Beginner's Guide to Church, as we're learning once again what it means to be church. This series, this 1 Corinthians series that we press pause just briefly for, we're coming back to next Sunday. We issued and handed out these journals. This is the book of 1 Corinthians in a simple journal. We will have some more available uh, next week. If you've lost yours or if you were not here when we started that series, we'll be able to get you one of these, and you'll be able to follow along and keep track with this. Um, This series, I'm so excited to get back to it because you're going to find lots of connections between the kind of church we see us becoming, we believe God's calling us to be, and what's going on in 1 Corinthians. Once again, that's a letter that was written to a very early church. And so they were trying to figure out what church is all about. As we've emerged from all the the different disruptive things that have happened over the last couple of years, we're trying to answer that question again. And so that's part of what our vision's about. It's part of the church that we're called to be. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that next week. Well, Last time I'm going to preach on the vision for this particular series, not the last time you're going to hear about the vision, but we've been unpacking what we believe God is calling us to be as a church. And this is a very critical time for us. Because as we've moved from all of our lives being disrupted, it was really in many ways like it was time to hit the reset button to start again. In fact, some of the language that we used as a staff and as an eldership as we were getting our feet back up under us again is is we need to look at ourselves as a church plant or a church replant, that we're starting a church. And that's why we need to think of it in new ways, not unbiblical ways, but new ways, particularly perhaps we haven't thought of it before. And so many of you have already been blessed by that and encouraged us by that. And so as we went through that, this vision began to emerge. And it came with lots of prayer, lots of study, lots of reflection, lots of of conversation back and forth of where's God at work. And so we began the vision with this idea that everyone lead one. And again, that's the idea that everybody that's a follower of Jesus, every one of us, are a witness all the time. The point there is we don't turn that off and turn it on at particular times. As we go through life, we're a witness. And what we're encouraging there, what we're praying for there, is that every person would have that experience of what it means to lead somebody else to Jesus. Now, it's been one of the incredible blessings of my life to do both youth ministry and then this preaching thing that I do now, and participate in baptizing people. And being there at the moment they make the decision. Being there at the moment they say, Jesus is Lord, and they make that proclamation. And i got to tell you, there's something just addictive about that. Seeing God work and seeing lives change that way. And that's why our prayer is, over these next five years, that everyone that calls themselves a follower of Jesus would have the experience of what it's like to be used by God to lead someone else. 
And that will naturally lead to what we're praying for is a harvest of baptisms. As you read through Acts, and we're going to be in Acts today, you see this occurrence again and again that people are professing the name of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. And we practice what's called immersion. And they go down, death, burial, and they come up as a symbol, as a participation in, as a decoration of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is not abnormal in the Bible. It's normal. And we believe that it should be normal for us. And so we're praying for just an incredible harvest, the likes of which we've never seen before. Not just in this building, but in all the places that we're trying to reach. All the places that we have a presence. So here, locally, through our youth ministry, in this community, and around, and around the world. And as we do that, we realize we're going to need to become a diverse church. And we're going to need to move out of some of our comfort zones. Churches will not survive if their whole goal is to become just like themselves. In fact, I would argue that biblically, a church that just reaches people that looks just like itself already is not a church. Because the gospel message came to break down walls and the gospel message came to, to move into people groups that are at odds with one another, but through reconciliation and through the mission and the message of, of peace that Jesus brings, people can be reconciled to one another in a way that cannot be explained by sociologists, cannot be explained by political parties, cannot be explained by anything that you and I can conjure up other than the fact that God moved into the area. God came into some lives. And so we're going to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to get out of our, our assumptions and our biases and our, our predispositions, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit be, be the lead. And then the one we talked about last week, this idea of an extra mile. And that's where Jesus says, if you, um, someone forced you to go one mile, you go an, an extra mile. And we talked about the idea that we're going to go two miles around this campus and see what opportunities that opens up and just start to focus on that. And we're discovering partnerships. We're discovering organizations. We're discovering other churches and people in neighborhoods that have always been there. But because now we believe that God's laid this mission in our heart and we're putting our focus on it, we're starting to see some, some incredible opportunities. And you're going to see some partnerships and some engagement coming soon. Uh, in fact, many of them have already started. We've already got an incredible partnership with the Impact Church. We've got a partnership with Avenue G Church of Christ. We're going to be keep developing those, and we're going to keep moving into these areas. And this is just the beginning as we see that. And the call is, as we do this collectively around our campus... The goal is for you also to do it in your extra mile, at your workplace, at your school, on your sports team, in your neighborhood. We want to bring the good to all the neighborhood. And we want to be in that area where, where God's at work. And so we come to the one that, I'm just going to be honest with you, is the most audacious call that we have. 
And it's the one that says church plant. Now, that may not be a familiar phrase to you, but what that means is that we want to help start a church somewhere, and particularly what's been laid on us is, is somewhere in North America. Because we want it to be a church plant that we can participate in, not just financially, but actually have our youth ministry go and participate there, have families go and worship there and reach out and experience this, and that we really would be a sister church with us. And so I want to walk you through, because you got, like, so how does that happen? Let me give you a little insight. We don't know yet, okay? But I want to take you through the book of Acts and show you why I believe that that is the natural outcome if the first four are in place. So if you have your Bibles, open up Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Acts has, several, um, Acts has several summary statements that it goes through. So I'm going to do something a little audacious. I'm going to try to preach through the whole book of Acts at lightning speed. Is that okay? So if there's some things that, that may get a little fuzzy, I apologize. But we're going to move through this rather rapidly. And I'm going to try to give you an, an overview of what's going on in the book of Acts. In your New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called Gospels. The simple meaning of a Gospel is that it's an account. It's a biography in many ways of the life, the ministry, the mission, ultimately the execution... We call it the crucifixion, crucifixion, the, the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. After that, the book of Acts takes over. Now, the man that wrote Acts is also one of the guys that wrote the Gospels. His name is Luke. All the Gospels are named after their authors. Luke wrote a two-volume set. He did, a, he did a, an original, and apparently it went so well that there's a sequel to it. And they called it Acts. Okay? They call it Acts of the Apostles. Now, that's not a bad name, except it's a little misleading. Because as you read through the book, the star of the show, the most consistent character, is not a single apostle. Now, there's Paul. He's predominantly in, in over half of Acts. But the star of the show, the one that's consistent from the beginning to the end, is Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so it could actually be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's the star of the show. Everybody else comes in, and they kind of exit. They come in, they play their supporting part, and then they exit. But the story is, where does the gospel go? Where does the good news go? And so you have a history account in Acts. And every so often, Luke, who's a good historian, drops in kind of a summary statement. And I'm going to walk you through not all of them, but some of them today and show you where I think this leads us as a church and perhaps even challenges you individually. So Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Let me set the context real quick. This is the part after Jesus is resurrected. He has spent um, some time about, about with his disciples, several weeks with disciples, and their minds are blown. Because they saw this man die, and now he's up, and he's going to give them their marching orders. 
And so he gathers them around, and he's about to disappear from their sight. Now, I don't know what it actually looks like, but what Scripture tells us is after he gives this, he goes away. He, he removes himself from their presence, and he's just handed the whole mission over to them. And so when he does that, here's what we have in verse 6. Then they gathered around him. These are the disciples and some of their, their followers that had come along with them. And, he asked, and they asked him. Now, they're going to ask him the question that has been on their minds the entire time they've been with him. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, they're occupied. Rome is in charge. They're, they haven't been charged their own country for years. The entire lifetime of these guys growing up. And the hope of any good Jewish boy was that someday the Messiah would come along and we would join forces with him and he would lead the military, he would lead the overthrow, he would lead the revolution to make all things right again and we'd be in control and be back in power again. And so they thought they had signed on for that. And they go through the three years with Jesus, and then they decide, they figure out that this cannot be the one we think it is because he ended up on a cross and messiahs don't end up on a cross. And yet then he walks back out of the tomb, and so they think, oh, game on again. And here's Jesus' answer to him. He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So <laughs> it's one of those answer, non-answer things that Jesus does at times. And they said, is now the time? Is now the time? Is now the time? And he says, that's not for you to know. So this one verse alone challenges anybody that says, I've gone and I've looked through all the Bible and I've got the end of the world figured out. Okay, Every generation thinks this is the end of the world. You know, this, this is the end. Jesus is saying, that's not your call. Your call is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. There's our word. You'll be the one that tells the story of what you've seen. That's what a witness does. A witness does not have all the answers. A witness can only and should only testify to what it, he's seen. Here's what Jesus has done for you and me. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Here's what I was like before Jesus he got a hold of me, and now here's what I'm like with Jesus in my life. That's what a witness does. He says, you're going to be the witnesses. And what did they have to tell? They had to tell the story of, we saw a dead man walking. That was their message. That God has come near in the person of Jesus. The powers that be tried to silence him. They tried to kill him. And through what he did on the cross and his burial and then his resurrection, suddenly there's a new day. And there's a new creation, and there's a new hope, and there's a new reality that God is doing something new. That was their message, and their message should have failed if it wasn't true. But Jesus tells them, you're going to go into Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and then to all the ends of the earth. Now, put yourself in their slot just for a second, because you can see what they're doing. Because they're, they're still leaning into this, we're about to take back our country, right? This is about to be political. This is about to be successful. And he says, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And they go, yes, capital city. That makes sense. We can set up the government. Awesome. Maybe they high-five one another. I don't know. Then he goes, and you're going to go to Judea. Oh, good. Surrounding 
Yes, let's get all the country back. I bet you we can get a lot of the peasants from the surrounding side to join our side. We're going to be ready to march. And then he says, and Samaria. And you know they all went, <coughs> what? Because they hated Samaria. They were taught in their life that if you had to go from point A to point B and it required you to cross a Samaritan territory, you took the long way around. And it wasn't a fun drive because they were walking. There was, they despised the Samaritans. And now, a second ago, they're high-fiving one another. Now they're leaning and going, excuse me? And then he lays this on them. He says, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Now, you and me, we can pull up Google Maps, and I can find the ends of the earth. I can pull up pictures in real time of the ends of the earth. They had no concept of how far this was going to be. I mean, they knew Rome. Rome was is, is about as far away because they knew they felt the presence of Rome, even though it was in some way. Most of these guys had not gone but 100 miles from home and their whole existence. And so Jesus is laying something that is blowing their minds at this moment. My grandmother lived to be 102 years old. I think I did the math right. She was born in 1911. Lived by herself for most of her life after my grandfather died. Ran a ranch. She was, she was a tough, tough woman. In the last decade of her life, we never had a temptation to say, Grandma, we need to get you an iPhone. She wouldn't have known what to do with it. Jesus has just handed these guys an iPhone and says, Here. And they're like, What? What? the end of the earth. And so now they've got all these questions, and they've got questions that you and I would be asking. Who's doing this? We're, we're doing this? I'm not sure we've been trained, Jesus. I'm not sure this was in the brochure when you began. How, where, where are we going to the ends of the earth? Where is that? I mean, I've been past the corner at the end of my street, but where else are you talking about? Who, how are we going to fund this? Now, that was a good church question. How are we going to fund this, Jesus? Where's our army? Where's our military? Where's our might? What leverage do we have? You see how the questions just start coming one after another. And all he promises them is all they need by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he gives them a mission that they cannot fully understand or appreciate, but they move into this crazy idea. And so here's the story as it unfolds in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, we get one of those summary statements. They go back, exactly like they're told, back into Jerusalem. And they begin, and on the day of Pentecost, maybe you've heard of that, Peter stands up and preaches a sermon. 3,000 people respond to that sermon. 3,000 people respond to that idea that Jesus is Lord and so that begins to form a new community there. And so here we find this summary. Every day they continue. This is these people that are coming to Jesus. They continue to meet together in the temple courts. Why the temple courts? Because they were predominantly Jewish. They had gone into the temple. They would heard a message about Jesus. And so they just wanted to keep coming back for more, coming back for more. In the temple, Jesus is being preached at first. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What's going on here? They formed a new community together that came around the idea that Jesus is Lord. And that had a tangible, noticeable, eye-catching effect on everybody around. This new community. I don't know what it was like to worship in the temple before, at least what the vibe was. But suddenly understand, they're going to, people are going to the temple to worship, and they're seeing this new group. There's this new buzz going on. And these people just seem so joyous. They seem so much in celebration. They seem so grateful. They seem so excited about what's going on and what God's doing in their life. And now they're just sharing meals together. They're inviting people into their homes. They're creating this new community, and the watching world notices it. This is why it's so important as we move into all these dreams that we are a community formed around Jesus. And the truth is, some of us need to let our face know what's going on in our hearts. And it's okay to show the enthusiasm and the excitement because there is something contagious about a group of people that are sold out to Jesus. And a joy. I'm not talking about a sugary sweet happiness, but a joy, a life-changing, altering joy that comes in. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. And the world notices it, and it begins to have an attraction and it begins to have a change. Acts 6 7 says this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, what's going on? Let me give the context of this. This particular summary statement comes right after the church faces one of its early problems. And it ran to a problem of. We've got too many widows to take care of. And they're not getting enough food. So we've got to come up with a system. We're not going to push them out. We've got to come up with a way that we can effectively care for these widows that need to eat. And they call seven guys and their servants. And they begin to put these guys in place to serve and make sure that nobody's overlooked when it comes to the distribution of bread. Now, why is that important? Because look at the effect that it has. This is what you get in verse 7. So the word of God spread, not because the seven guys became awesome preachers, but because the seven guys stepped up and they began to model what it looked like to serve. And people saw it. And it was so effective or had so much impact that look who noticed Notice the last line, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Who is one of the last people you expect to adopt this new emerging faith? The protectors of the old faith, right? What's going on? The priest and the temple was a place where people received care and compassion. 
what they're seeing is they're seeing this new thing called the church do their job better than they're doing their job. And it's attractive to them. And they see something authentic in that. So when we talk about being the extra mile, there's something that cannot be held back when we serve in that way. Moving rapidly. Next verse comes, comes in Acts chapter 9. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a, little time, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit in increasing numbers. There's the promise once again. This is not what we do under our own power. The church is not powered by itself. It is given the Holy Spirit. And so, as we pray for these things, we're not saying this is what we're going to get done because we're so smart and we're so clever and we've got it all figured out. Our prayer now and for the next five years is that through us and among us, by the power of the Spirit, God would accomplish these things. And we're going to leave ourselves open. Fear of the Lord is not because we huddle and we're afraid in the corner. Fear of the Lord is this awe and respect that, there, that He has no competitor in our life. There, there is nothing else that we're going to try to even begin to put up next beside Him that He's going to have to compete for our attention or our devotion. That's fear of the Lord, powered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to move this way. See, fear of the Lord, not fear of your opinion of me. Not fear of whatever collective opinion somebody else may have of us. Not fear of, can we afford it? Not fear of, how are we going to get this done? Not fear of, of, well, it's kind of really a sensitive time in our world right now, and we just have to walk softly. See, no competitor, and by the power of, of the Spirit. Moving rapidly. Acts chapter 16. Before I read this, let me tell you what went on right before it. Acts chapter 15 is a very critical chapter in, in the life of the church because there's a problem and there's a conflict. And the conflict is this. People that are not Jewish are coming into the church. And they're starting to hear the message, and they're believing that Jesus is Lord, and now they're coming to the church. And for so many, many generations, the Jewish people have defined themselves as, we're the people of God, and you can identify us all because we're all Jewish. And now that boundary marker has broken down. It's no longer an identifier. And so all the leaders of the church, Peter and Paul and James, all, they come together for a council, and they basically have a big meeting and say, what are we going to do? And at the end of the meeting, Peter tells what's happened um, as he's shared with Cornelius. Paul tells what, what's happened as he's preached uh, up and down the outside of Jerusalem. And these Gentiles are coming in. And so James, who seems to be chairing the meeting, says, Why would we make it difficult for those who are coming to God? And at that moment, they were declaring... What God had already been doing is that this is not going to be divided by race 
It's not going to be divided by ethnicity. It's not going to be divided by um, political party. It's not going to be divided. God's bringing us all together. This is why we're praying for a diverse church. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. Why? Because the old way of measuring people, the old way of putting labels on people and keeping them in a box was no more. Now they struggled with this and we struggle with this. But the call of Jesus on the church was to bring down the walls, remove the labels, and come under the single identity of saved people by the power of Jesus. Moving to the next one. I'm going to end here. Once again, remember that the story of the book of Acts is the gospel moving from a group of guys on a hillside wondering how far is the end of the earth and what does that mean and how do we ever find it? As you move through the book of Acts, at some point a man named Paul comes onto the scene. And Paul, the first time we see him, he's actually participating in the persecution of the, the execution, actually, of a man named Stephen. He's watching over the cloaks while everybody else throws rocks at this guy until he's dead. And then Jesus gets a hold of Paul and turns his life upside down and turns him around. And he goes from one that is trying to prosecute the church to one that's trying to proclaim Jesus. And then Paul begins to spend his life going around preaching the gospel. And wherever he does, a church forms. A group of people that come around this identity. And it's not an easy task for Paul. As you read through it, he goes through all kinds of hardships. In fact, it, it's begun, his whole ministry has begun when the man that's told to go tell Paul that he's going to be used by God says, wait a minute, you don't understand. Paul is the bad guy. Paul is the one that we're all afraid of. And God tells this man, says, says you go tell him. He doesn't even yet know how much he's going to have to suffer for me. And Paul goes in this life of proclaiming the message, and it cost him everything. He is jailed. He is beaten. He is flogged. He experiences a shipwreck. He goes through legal trial after legal trial after legal trial. And eventually, all these legal persecutions and prosecutions against him brings him to Rome. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And he's under house arrest in Rome. But look what he does. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, this is why Jesus is the star of the show. So here's Paul, miles from a hillside outside of Jerusalem now. Quite frankly, Paul, an unlikely character to even be here. And under the nose of Caesar, under the nose of the emperor, the one that would call himself the Son of God, Jesus is being preached and Jesus is being proclaimed. And it wasn't easy for Paul. 
but he was faithful in it. I don't think it's going to be easy for us. Because one of the things that the book of Acts testifies to is not that Jesus sends them into the world and says, it's going to be simple, go. It's going to be easy, go. You're going to experience nothing but success, go. No, instead he sends them to be witnesses. To simply be a community of people that keep telling the story and telling the story and telling the story and telling the story, powered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul does. And so as Paul tells the story and tells the story, his life struggles and struggles and struggles. But God keeps cropping up churches everywhere he goes. And that's what I think he'll do with us. Because Acts ends at chapter 28, right after this. But the story of Acts does not end there. The book does, but we're still part of that story. And as we pray for everyone to lead one and a harvest of baptisms and God to break down walls, become a diverse church. And as we reach out and we serve and we take care of our community, the natural result is that a church is going to pop up. Christians reproduce Christians. Churches reproduce churches. And we'll know we're on the right track when it gets difficult. Because, and I love this quote, from Tim Mack at the Bible Project. When the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their stories will begin to look like the story of Jesus. And may that be our story. How's the church plant going to happen? I don't know. How much is it going to cost? I don't know. It ain't going to be cheap, I'll tell you that much. How are we going to get this done? I don't know. All the same questions the disciples had that day. But I believe that God's leading us to see that there's another church that does not exist right now where the name of Jesus is going to be lifted up. And we get to participate in that. So I'm going to invite David Kelly to come up and pray a blessing over this. And then I've got one more thing for us. So David, if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We ask and you have given. When we began our prayers months ago about how Western Hills could serve your kingdom, uh, you provided answers and they were not from us clearly from you in so many ways that we've seen you work. Because of this, Father, we know we can continue to make requests and uh, we're always uh, amazed by what you do. And Father, we know that uh, there are so many ways that we can serve our request is this, that you not necessarily make the path to a church plant easy, but that you make it clear. And Father, we ask that uh, 
we clearly recognize that there's obstacles and that you guide us past them. And Father, you have provided gifts to so many people in this church that you have blessed this church beyond measure. We know that Western Hills is here for a reason, to serve you. And we know we're called to special purposes. And Father, we know we need to reach out, that there's a place for another church. We readily admit we don't know where that is. We don't know who's going to be called there. We don't know what it's going to look like. And Father, that is exciting because we get to see you at work again. And we know that uh, you will continue to remind us that it is your work, that we have been blessed with an opportunity to serve, to reach out. There are souls that are lost. There are people that need you and have not heard your word, have not heard about Jesus. And Father, we are thankful that you have given us the tools to be able to carry out your mission. And Father, we are humbled by that and recognize your power. So as we move forward for a, a place to, for another church that will be constantly yielding to your guidance, that will set our needs aside and look more for your needs and the needs of those who are looking for you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. It's in your son's most holy name that we pray. Amen. We've always talked about a next step after this. This one has a unique next step. We've got a prayer card. We've created these that reminds us what the vision is and what we've been called to and so, as you leave today, there's going to be some on the center console here. We've got some guys going to be passing these out uh, in the back. I'd like everybody to take one and put this up where you can see it. And I want to challenge you over the next week to be in prayer for this. Now, I hope you pray longer than that. But I'm asking specifically each day this week that you be in prayer for these things and keep this before you. If you would, let's stand and we're going to let this closing song be our be our anthem, be our call, that God's going to do among us, through us and with us, what we saw in the book of Acts, and we'll see that incredible harvest that he has.